0: The following is a hoop ball presentation. Hello, and welcome back to the Sports Ethos Atlanta Hawks team coverage podcast, formerly known as Hoop Ball Hawks. Where we cover everything regarding the Atlanta Hawks. I'm your host, Brad Harden, recording live here from cloudy, gloomy Atlanta, Georgia Georgia, weather-wise. But things were hot and competitive in the State Farm Arena, and the Hawks pulled out a buzzer beater by Ice Trey himself on on the back of a 34-point performance to hold off the very scrappy Brooklyn Nets um, in I know I've been mum the last, you know, few days after, you know, the reaction to uh, David Miller's dismissal from the Atlanta Hawks franchise, but a lot has happened, 2-0 since the All-Star break, 2-0 since the firing. Um, I didn't want to overreact after that beatdown of Cleveland on Friday, Um, so I wanted to let it breathe a little bit, watch this game today on Sunday as we're recording and then I want to get someone who has some of the best eyes in the industry um, as far as, you know, dissecting the game and watching Hawks games nightly, even with the time difference. Out on the West Coast, fan favorite, Glenn Willis is back here on the program. Long overdue. Glenn, how are you doing this evening?
1: I'm good, Brad. Uh, your intros are always so kind. Um, great, greatly appreciate that. And good to be on with you. Always love talking Hawks and NBA with you. I love, I love having you on, and uh, like I like I said, it
0: was long overdue. Um, so I know you've been uh, active in the podcast world of uh, giving your thoughts on the Hawks recently. Um, so some of this may be you know published on other programs. Uh, so if you guys, um, obviously, I'll let Glenn plug that at the end of the program, so you can check out his thoughts. Um, but definitely want to start off with your thoughts on. Um, the dismissal of Nate McMillan at this time in the season.
1: Yeah, I mean, it kind of caught me by surprise a little bit. I I guess if it was going to happen, the the most natural time for it to happen was the break. Um, But it seemed like, you know, what was being reported and and what was kind of what people were hearing was that the Hawks really wanted him to stay on to the end of the season they didn't want to kind of deal with. A coaching change uh, in the middle of the season, and something caused them to change direction on how they felt about that. My personal view is that when the whole uh, kind of situation happened, when Trey and Nate had a, as they described it, a miscommunication, and Trey didn't uh, uh, show up for um, that one game, and such that you know the comments Nate made about some of the reporting. Basically, suggested he was going to retire at the end of the season. That's what that, that's not what he said, but that was what I feel like I heard. And I and I thought it was just kind of I think it's kind of ridiculous to have a coach um, that everyone knows is going to basically be done at the end of the season, and you're trying to chase you know some serious goals or what have you. So I thought they were in kind of a, an unmanageable situation, and it was unfortunate kind of how they got there. Not that there was a perfect solution to it, um, you know, and, and, and such. So I, I feel like, um, you know, it it's fine. Uh, you know, I, I, I thought them finishing the season with Nate was kind of like having a lame duck head coach. And I, I don't really see where a lot of good can come from that. Um, but, you know, firing your coach is only like 10 percent of the move. Like I, what I always say, it's not about who you fire. It's about who you hire. And that last part is the 90 other 90% about getting it right. And you will see what the kind of the final outcome of that process is. We all uh, are are seeing the reporting from Woj and Shams and others that they're looking at Quinn Snyder, but, you know, we'll see if that gets done or not. But the real key here is, uh, you know, getting the right coach in place for the next whatever number of years. So I, you know, I, I don't, I think it's a fine move. I think it was kind of crazy to try to finish the season with Nate and not, not crazy to finish the season with Nate, but to think that something good would come of Nate just staying in place when everybody knew he was basically gone at the end of the year. So, you know, I think it's okay. I don't think they lost a ton, but the real work is still left to be done. In my opinion,
0: I 100% agree to still, the work is still, you know, needing to be done and it's getting done behind the scenes as far as uh, mentioning, uh, the coaching search and uh, obviously you guys have seen reported uh, that I've seen that the Hawks have locked in on Quinn Snyder. Um, they are still working out the uh, details as far as him officially coming on board with the Atlanta Hawks is still not official yet, but it's in the works. And I, I definitely uh, echo Glenn's sentiment. Uh, the timing was weird. Was a surprise, especially because I thought he wasn't coming back next year anyway. Um, but just at this point of the season, when you know you have a very crucial stretch coming up, and as I already said at the top of the program, you start off two and zero, which is great to help towards this final stretch of the season when you have a bunch of divisional opponents coming up, and particularly the Washington Wizards and the Miami Heat, we're going to see a lot of in the next week and a half, uh, but. Back to Quinn Snyder. I personally, I mean, he was really good at player development in Utah, uh, ran a really good offense in Utah. It seems like they, and I don't know if they hit their ceiling because of personnel, um, where they're located and not being an attractive destination. Uh, He hit his ceiling in Utah, and obviously Utah decided to make a move from Quinn Snyder, uh, who was obviously... Um, a coach of the year candidate several years and coached an all-star game for the Western conference uh, team. But what is your thoughts on the potential impact of a Quinn Snyder here in Atlanta?
1: Yeah. I mean, to me, it, he seems like he's probably the best coach that's actually available. You know, that's a matter of opinion, of course, but to me, he accomplished a lot in, in Utah. You know, you ask yourself, you know, um, did he at any point have a top, 15 player you know and that comes down to perception and opinion too of you know how 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 good was donovan mitchell's peak how impactful was rudy gobert when he was at his best And in a really tough western conference field most seasons you know they did quite well you know And so I I think highly of him as a coach I think it's good that landry is talking about kind of getting back to development being a priority I uh, love that for Jalen and AJ and whoever else, you know, you know, what other young guys might be in the mix going forward. You know, Nate was famous for saying, "We're not doing development." As I've said before, I don't, I don't think he necessarily meant we're not doing any development. I think what he meant was the priority is winning. Um, you know, and that we're not going to sacrifice wins for the purpose of helping our younger guys get better. Um, you know, not that helping your players get better wasn't a priority at all. But, I, you know, I just don't, I don't know that Nate's kind of system or style or philosophy or whatever was great for young guys. And some of the comments you heard from JC and others, you know, in the days after the news uh, kind of kind of reinforced that that uh, Nate's coaching style and philosophy probably a better fit for a veteran team that's kind of ready to just focus on winning games and going as deep in the season as you can. Um and such. And and that's but I mean to be fair to Nate, that's kind of where the Hawks thought they were coming off that Eastern Conference Finals appears, you know, season and a half ago now, right? And uh, but that's not where they really were. I think we I think we've all learned since then. Um so you know, so I I think kind of getting someone who can come in and establish some structure and some, you know, multifaceted uh, kind of set of priorities and things like that is, is great. And I think Quinn's uh, you know, proven himself to be a um, a successful coach. And for where the Hawks are, uh, I, I think it would be a great outcome. I've mentioned in other places that the Quinn and Trey collaboration will be something I will watch closely. Quinn's pretty oriented around details. Um, and Trey relies a lot on – I mean, Trey's a – offensive savant, but he relies on real-time kind of reading the play and making his own decision, uh, executing, and he's masterful at it. But it'll be interesting to see how um, Quinn potentially empowers Trey to have that kind of flexibility and bring some of that artistry that he does to the game. And it'll be interesting also on the other side to see how much Trey maybe buys into a little bit more structure than might be Trey's first preference. So that's the part of it that catches my eye uh, the most is to see what that collaboration might look like. It doesn't seem like the most natural fit on the surface, but as human beings we can decide to kind of lean into things that um, present interesting opportunity, even if on the surface, they'd always look like the most comfortable thing in the world. Yeah. And, and buying in is going to
0: be the most important thing for whoever the head coach is, um, for the Atlanta Hawks in regards to Trey Young and having a partnership and seeing eye to eye, which was obviously not the case under uh, the Nate Millen or Lloyd Pierce tenure here in Atlanta. Uh, but uh, but I agree with you there. And I'm really interested as far as because we know what he can do offensively. We know his court vision is great. He's one of the best passers in the NBA. Um, but I always, you know, critique and criticize and i catch some slack for it, but i mean it's fact sometimes his game management decisions as a point guard isn't the best and maybe that shot selection or the turnovers and i would really love to see him in an offensive structure that kind of utilizes his talents like you said but also instill some discipline and Opens up things and makes him a better point guard, so he does not get snubbed um, from another All Star game opportunity. Uh, so I, I agree with you there. I mean, I think that would be, you know, the most interesting thing there. Um, the only other coaches that I saw that I would were particularly interested in um, the, the name Charles Lee, because obviously his his connection with the Atlanta Hawks uh, being under Budenholzer, he was in Atlanta when Budenholzer was here. Um, being in a good system in Milwaukee, I thought that would have been a interesting fit, um, even though he does not have head coaching experience, which a lot of people are clamoring for here in Atlanta. And also, uh, Udoka, uh, which is not the best PR move, um, but certainly when you're talking about and Hawks put out criteria of a coach that is really good offense and defense, I mean, even in one year of, of experience, you know, you don't get to check that box up in Boston. Um, so if something were to happen, it, it doesn't seem likely, but if something were to happen and it caves in as far as discussions with Snyder and the Hawks,
1: are there any other candidates that you'd be interested in? No, I mean, um, I mean, you hit on the ones. I mean, to me, Odoka is going to be untouchable for a while. I, I think, um, I mean, it takes, I don't know how serious the situation was in Boston. It's hard to know. But I do know they came off of a finals appearance and, you know, could have suspended him for, like, half the season or whatever, right? They could have taken some path to keep him on as their coach, but it was bad enough that they just fully let go of him. And so that, to me, suggests it was a pretty bad situation. Um, I, You know, I I'm a – a believer in second chances and people being able to kind of redeem themselves eventually, but I, I think that he's just going to be uh, kind of untouchable for the most part for I don't know a year or two or whatever that, that ends up being. I, I wouldn't if it were my organization, I wouldn't hire him right now just based on what I don't I know. I, there's a lot I, maybe I don't know, but Kenny Atkinson I think would have been an interesting uh, guy as well. I think he was a uh, a great kind of development. Uh, Leader uh, with Brooklyn I think if you look at like for example how good Jarrett Allen is now I thought He really empowered the young guys to play up there Um, And any Coach that kind of tries to come through a period Of development and kind of rebuilding Then all of a sudden you inherit a roster Kind of built around Kyrie and KD And the likes I I mean guys like Kyrie and KD often kind of pick their coach to some degree, right? Right, and, and, and such. So you know, he would he would, but but he hasn't had the successful track record that Quinn has. So I, I still put Quinn at the top. Um, you know, the guys kind of in the San Antonio mold wasn't surprising to see. You know, kind of a, a name come out of there because of Landry's background with the Spurs, recent recent history with the Spurs. And all that, but you know, I mean it looked it looked correct to me. I I think the one thing the Hawks have to be prepared for um, a little bit of criticism potentially to go ahead and make a deal with Quinn is um, you know not opening up the process and getting minority coaches, you know, black coaches or what have you. Uh, into the into the process. Uh, I don't know if the Hawks get a little leeway because their last two head coaches have been black, you know, I'm interested in your view on that specifically, because, uh, you know, I, I I'm i I'm probably not the most qualified person to kind of view I just as from my see just wonder if there might be some fair criticism that they might have to take on if they just kind of hire Quinn and don't and include other uh, you know, candidates in the process. So I don't know you, what your thoughts on that are, but um, I'm curious if the Hawks might deal with some criticism around that side, if this is how they go.
0: Yeah. And I personally, obviously, you know, the last two coaches were black here in Atlanta and um, it's predominantly black city here in Atlanta. So it was a good fit there. Um, now there is narrative that there's a lot of people who, um, who who are giving, you know, Trey Young some slack because this will be the second black coach he's gotten fired in the last three years. And I am not saying that. Um, I'm not putting that attached to it. Um, so I say them not giving a black coach or a minority coach, because uh, I know one of the assistants um, and the name is escaping me now um, for the Kings who is a minority. I think he's Hispanic. He was the, one of the first names floated out there uh, amongst the other names like the Charles Lees and others. Uh, but I will say there may be more criticism behind how how short the search was, more so than the lack of minority coaches, in my opinion, because um, it just does seem like they were just locked in on somebody. Ah, uh, they put out some names just for PR sakes, but they were locked in on Quinn Snyder, which may lend to conspiracy theories saying, "Well, maybe you know they were working on this all along with the Nate McMillan turmoil, and that could that's another discussion, another can of worms to open." But I say, if it does not work for some reason. And one of the other people who were initially listed goes on to get jobs and they were they are more successful than a Quinn Snyder is. Then I think it opens up criticism to the Atlanta Hawks uh, franchise and how quickly, you know, the process is going could also lend to the lack of experience and the vulnerability, uh, the vulnerable position that the Atlanta Hawks front, uh, front office is in in general, you know, from a. You know, letting Travis Slane go and a lot of the people he brought over from Golden State, uh, the the Nick Wrestler effect uh, behind closed doors, uh, the youth and fields and Corver and the roles. I think that will be more criticism than the fact of a lack of minority hire, in my
1: opinion. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, Jordy Fernandez is the the king Fernandez, and, Yeah, yeah. I've gotten to watch him coach quite a bit in summer league, and um, you know just. From that vantage point, it seems like a guy who really engages his team well, and and you know watches the details too. He's you know he's been with, with the Kings this year, but he spent the last six or seven years before this in Denver. And Mike Malone is mostly his background, you know, kind of like his dad, mostly a defensive coach. And uh, Jordy Fernandez really had a lot to do with kind of the buildup of that offensive system. Um, in Denver, I think, you know, he'll be, he's going to, he's going to be a head coach here sooner than later. You know, I'd be surprised if, you know, we get to maybe not this summer, but next summer if he's not, you know, hired into a head coaching job, he's really well regarded around the league as far as, as far as I can tell. But yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see kind of how, how that part goes. Uh, I, you, I, I know a lot of people saw like in the middle of the second quarter against the Cavs, I jokingly tweeted, pull the offer. Um, Because of yeah. <laughs> how well they were playing But two two games in a row where They just kind of played lights out on offense Against the Cavs the best defensive team in the league According to that rating or defensive rating And in this This Nets game I thought it was one of their Tougher you know I thought they showed More toughness maybe than they have in any other game All year long you know so So um, but I, I think I think of Prunty I think He's been in uh, part of successful Organizations and he stepped into a a tough job in Milwaukee when they let Jason Kidd go and probably did about as well as you could, could expect. Giannis still speaks very highly of them and of him and uh, him and both Sean Sweeney, uh, who was sort of the other kind of co-head coach there during that time. Sean Sweeney's with Dallas now. And I think he's going to be a good uh, head coach one day, but um, you know, it it, two games where I think the Hawks family has to be, be feeling pretty good about things right now. And, and so where, like the, I don't know what your viewpoint is, but I, when You get on Twitter. I think the feeling on Thursday going into Friday was like, oh my gosh, announced it already, announced it already. Everyone was just kind of feeling a lot of anxiety about kind of having a, you know, a resolution to that. And now after these two games, maybe uh, Hawks fans have gone from a kind of a ten on a scale of one to ten around anxiety to get that done to. What, maybe a seven and a half or eight now. It's not down below five or anything like that, but <laughs> maybe may a little more patience is uh, is uh, showing up now with the results of these two games. I, I um, and That's why, obviously, I waited until today to
0: record. I wanted to be a little bit more patient. Uh, we've seen Hawks have two game winning streaks and, and longer this year under Nate McMillan, and then obviously we still got the result of him being let like, go. So I do kind of want things to settle. Um, on un, um, obviously, however long the Quinn Snyder, um, discussion goes on uh, behind closed doors. Uh, I do want the dust to settle, but you're absolutely right. A great t- first two games. Uh, we are going to dive a little bit more into these first two games, but first this quick plug. Okay. Listeners. It's time to talk a little fantasy hoops. Now, I don't know about you. I'm in several fantasy leagues, and every fantasy league that you are in, you have a rival. Pokemon, Ash Ketchum had Gary, and I know you have your Gary out there. So it's time to beat Gary and get the insight that you need to take your stuff to the next level and win a fantasy basketball championship. Do you remember who led you to Tyrese Halliburton, DeJounte Murray, Terry Rozier, and Mikael Bridges? before any other rank list i know which one it's the Brewski's 150 and you probably turn those huge wins into some cash or a fantasy basketball championship this year the Brewski 150 is on sale for a limited time and ethos 360 subscribers can get access in less than a week head to sportsethos.com And click on the premium tab to grab membership information or the draft guide today. And yes, to answer your most important question, the Brewski 150 is included in both options. Check back daily for more new features and go dominate your leagues, beat Gary with the help of Sports Ethos. All right, and we are back. As I said, Brad Harden here in Atlanta, multitasking right now, interviewing the great Glenn Willis. Uh, but I do have one eye peeking on the uh, LSU Lady Tigers uh, final <laughs> home game uh, right now to see uh, if they're going to go ahead and get this two seed in the SEC tournament. But this is a Hawks podcast, so I'm fully dedicated to the Hawks right now. And we're going to talk about the Joe Prunty-led Hawks, who are off to a 2-0 start since the firing of name Millen. The offense has been absurd <laughs> the last two games. I mean, they're shooting out of their minds. And you might have the numbers as far as the field goal percentage combined for the last two games. Uh and I will definitely give you the floor here shortly. Uh but certainly the offense has been there. Uh they needed that break and that was evident in their last two games against Charlotte and New York. Um, and and despite those two games lost, um the Hawks have won four of six. Um, so they are playing better basketball since the turn of the calendar in the 2023 year, uh, even despite the coaching change. And a lot of people are going to attribute the coaching change to the, uh, to the two games here, post all-star break. Some people may attribute it to rest. Some people may attribute it to, you know, more aggression, uh, seeing from this team, more toughness, as you alluded to. Um, So I'm curious, um, and and we can start with either game. What are the things that you are seeing that are different in these in these Hawks, these last two games from
1: prior? Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of funny because they were both, you know, statistically uh, very successful offensive games, um, but they were completely different games from that standpoint of what they were facing, you know, versus the Cavs it seemed like the Cavaliers probably understandable that they weren't ready to see so much pick and roll and so little ISO. And, you know, I think there was maybe one or two kind of quasi-ISO possessions in the fourth quarter when, um, you know, the Cavs about halfway through the third quarter started blitzing, you know, all middle pick and rolls and kind of forcing the ball out of Trey's hands, in some cases trying to get DeJounte to turn the ball over, And the Hawks just couldn't do anything with it. So I think they kind of, um, you know, opted to go with a kind of quasi-ISO in the fourth quarter. Um, But, I mean, they just hammered the Cavs the whole game with with pick and roll until that adjustment by the Cavaliers. And the Hawks were able to just manage enough points, um, you know, to kind of close out that game and, and not let the Cavs get any closer than 10 during the fourth quarter. Well, the Nets... I mean, force the Hawks into mid-range, force the Hawks into ISO. Even, like, in the second quarter, I think the Hawks were, like, four for 13 from the paint, and the Nets were challenging every shot, like, on the interior, near the rim, you know, inside 10 feet or whatever. And so that's where DeJounte's mid-range game, you know, really, really helped. I said on Twitter after the Nets game, this was the blueprint for a game where Trey had to have help, a specific kind of help, um, for the Hawks to win this game, and DeJounte, I think four for five in the fourth quarter um, mm-hmm. and and took that offensive workload. And, and on top of that, with Trey's game winner, I don't I don't know how much energy Trey has left if, if DeJounte's helping, if DeJounte's not there to help with that offensive workload on the fourth quarter. So, you know, the, the Cleveland game is sort of like caught them by surprise, coaching change, how much, you know, is the offensive blueprint for the Hawks going to change? What do the Cavs expect? How do the Cavs even, you know, Decide what they're going to base their game plan on with the coaching chains. That's pretty hard. Um, we know the Cavs are a good defensive team. You know they've shown that all year long, number one in defensive rating for you know a while now. But the Nets use their switchable bodies, their switchable length, the, you know uh, all that sort of stuff. They don't really have a big plotting center and Claxton is is really mobile and uh, not the strongest guy in the world and then they played some minutes with Dorian finney smith at center you know mm-hmm. and and which is which is pretty um you know uh innovative in, in, in a way you know and um and so the hawks really couldn't it's hard to run pick and roll against switching i mean it's really 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 hard to run pick and roll against switching you kind of set up the run, pick, and roll, and you catch a switch. <laughs> you just got a body in front of you all over again. Shot clock is kind of winding down. So, I mean, I, you know, I said on Twitter that um, this game against the Nets, that's the kind of offense you have to be able to create in the postseason, you know, essentially. Teams will do whatever they can to take your pick and roll away and force you into one-on-ones. Joe Perenti said in his post-game comments, he commented about how few assists there were on both sides. The Hawks were running their red scheme, which is a switch-based scheme almost the whole game, too. Um, And so I thought, you know, Friday caught the Cavs by surprise and just hammered them with pick and roll until the Cavs kind of, you know, figured out what to to do with with their blitz coverage, and then then the Hawks, you know, managed to just keep enough distance there. This one against the Nets was really tough. Like, tough shots, especially in the second half. Um, Yeah. And the Hawks had to go make tough shots consistently over and over and over. Um, And so just... I I can't even – I almost can't even associate the two games together because they're just completely different offensive formulas that that were uh, at work there. But the good thing is they're finding ways to win
0: and winning in different fashions, as you're alluding to. One thing that was consistent in both games was the three-point shooting. I mean, the Hawks in both games, both games shot identically from the three-point line and I'm double checking my math they were they shot 53% in both or higher in both games from the three point line um it seems like obviously Dame millen's focus is more so the mid range whereas Joe prunty and he alluded to in the post game after the Cavs game is that he would like to see that three pointers attempt number go up and 28 three pointers attempted against the Cavs 30 today against the Nets uh what have you seen that has a, allowed for the Hawks to shoot more threes and make more threes in this offense?
1: Yeah, I mean, I just think they're um, they're not intentionally seeking the mismatch. You know, Nate talked about it all the time. We want to identify the mismatch, attack the mismatch, and that is a a fairly dated um, kind of uh, offensive approach. You know, I I I came of age watching the NBA in the '80s myself. I'm kind of you know I'm old enough to have um, that for that had been my for, you know formative years, kind of watching the league and all that sort of stuff, and that's that was, that was very much how it was kind of kind of back then. But you know, against the Cavs, like they they stacked three shooters on one side of the floor, emptied the strong side corner, and, and attacked the heck out of the Cavs that way. They were you know, using uh, you know multiple different kind of setups to, to create spacing. They they showed that versus the Cavs, they were actually valuing spacing, which is not at all what you were used to seeing during the mm-hmm. Nate time. Um, apart from that run of the Eastern Conference Finals, where he still had Melvin Hunt on staff and others, and there was still a bit of um, the, the original blueprint there. So just it starts with valuing spacing and being more attentive to the little things you can do off the spacing for other players. And that's, I think, created a lot of relief and more space for Trey and DeJounte both to attack. And, for example in these two games as a shooter, like especially against Cleveland, City Bay looked like really valuable, you because know? yeah. I mean spacing the floor, that's that's fantastic, you know. And so it's, you know, to me it's if you ask me Glenn, what's one thing in both games, the value valuing spacing, working at creating spacing and taking advantage of the spacing that's there, over the course of this Nets game, the Nets got better and better and better at kind of taking that spacing away. I, I thought they had an awesome defensive blueprint. Um, but the Hawks still were invested in creating space by the way that they were setting up what they were getting into, what they were running. I think I think they ran like one floppy set uh, on, which is pretty old school stuff <laughs> uh, against the Cavs. And then I think I saw two against the Nets where they used to run probably 12, 13, 14 a game before, the, before these changes. Uh, so just, you know, Value of spacing, and being really, really invested in that, and that being a, a real kind of, baseline offensive principles. The one thing that jumps out to me the most.
0: Yeah, and it's funny when they were getting themselves into trouble um, in that little that twenty twenty-five to six run that uh, Cleveland had in uh, on Friday, and then the, the the times in the second half where the Nets were um, making their little runs, uh, the spacing was off, and they alluded that to that in the broadcast. Um, So that's something that, you know, a lot of people have been clamoring for is better spacing. And I felt like it was better, you know, before we got Murray. And now you have to adjust. And it seems that, you know, Prunty has found the blueprint of making it work with both of them and emphasizing spacing within this offense to create opportunities for both. And as well as the rest of the team, because everybody has been eating, you know, bogey. He was he was he was. Gasping for air going into All Star break, and now he seems like he had, he visited the fountain of youth over a break, and now he looks completely different. Uh, what have you seen from Bogey uh, the last two games? Besides, obviously,
1: shots are falling regularly for him. Uh, yeah, I mean, he just looks like a guy who got off his feet, right? And um, and just looks looks a lot better. You, you know, you're right. He looked really, really rough the last two, three weeks, whatever, whatever stretch we want to call it. Had a <laughs> <of bad. laughs> yeah, really, really bad. It's funny because he's had a game here and there where, like, defensively, he made a difference. Like, you know, he took Shea in that Oklahoma City game for most of the second half, and 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 was really effective against him. And we won't—I uh, don't want to get into the kind of nuts and bolts of why that matchup worked there. And and you know, and he had some good minutes against Luca, but for the most part, just like, I mean. Just seemed like you didn't have a shooting base because of the state of that knee, you have to guess, right? And mm-hmm. and so it, you know, they need shot making and man, he he's been incredible these two games, um and such. So it, it, it was interesting to see, you know, and maybe we could talk about this later, but what when what pretty rolled out against the Nets, that last office possession they had, um, had Bay and, and Bogey out there. Yeah. I, I, you know, but um, – well, You I can mean, definitely get into it now, yeah. Yeah, I mean, th- so there's been this, like, immediately on Twitter, people are like, what is Bogey doing helping off, with, you know, Cam Johnson? And and I, I just get a little confused by the commentary because I'm like, that's the normal NBA principle is that the guy on the closer to the baseline on the weak side is the guy who is, quote, low man – that's who helps at the paint. That's who helps at the rim. Now, coming out of timeout, Joe Prenti said, we're not helping off shooters. We're at three. Stay home on shooters. Then Bogey screwed up. But if that wasn't specifically you know, communicated as the plan, then Bogey did what you're supposed to do in the NBA. Low man helps at the paint and the rim. Now, in that case, Sadiq Bey stayed up high near the three-point break on his guy. When Bogey goes to the paint, Bay has to, quote, zone the middle the so it get in the middle of those two shooters on that floor and be ready to close out on either one whatever the ball may end up going and he stayed hugged up kind of on his guy that made him so he didn't zone the middle and then that made him his close out longer and his rotation was late and so i think the my guess from what i saw was boogie didn't have the instruction to stay on the shooter so he played it the normal way you play it he's a little man he helps What you want then is Bay closes out on Cam Johnson, makes him give the ball up. The next guy closes out on Bay's guy. And then you just try to force them to move the basketball and get later and later and later to the shot clock. So, you know, so I'd love to ask Prunty, like, hey, did you tell everybody to stay home on shooters and not help at the rim? Because for me, people are like, oh, you give up a two there. Like, you give up an automatic two with seven and a half seconds to go and Brooklyn still has a timeout. You know, I mean... You know, I don't know that that's the right move. Now, in some cases, some coaches are like, yeah, we're not coming off of shooters on the three-point line, but you know, for me, in my experience and what I know, but it looked like there was no quote specialty coverage. Bogey was to play it like he's always does as a low man, and Bay was the guy who didn't do his job on that on that possession. Um, so, you know, we'll see if anyone in the media who you know has access in the coming days uh, may ask Joe Parante like, what was the call there maybe even ask bogey what was the call there um and see if bogey says yeah i screwed up i was supposed to stay home or like no we were playing our normal defense so it's just a interesting kind of conversation after the game there but people went straight to bogey screwed up i'm like we don't we don't know and and i'm gonna base you know what i based upon what i saw i'm gonna think bogey was not told to stay at home on this guy and based on what he screwed up, so but we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll pull that play and break it down probably on Twitter tomorrow. <laughs> we can look at it again a hundred times. Yeah, so definitely be
0: on the lookout for that. And I, and a lot a lot of that, Glenn, I want to say is attributed to there's a lot of people who scapegoat Bogey and a lot of people uh, who don't want Bogey on his team. Um, and, I mean, sometimes he can be a liability defensively, and sometimes he's very streaky um, offensively, and he is injury-prone, which has <laughs> – led to his streaky shooting, even more so in his uh, bad defense at times. Um, but that was also one of the main concerns of the Bay trade, in my opinion, If with Bogie staying on the roster, because uh, Bay is susceptible to those things as well. Um, so it's kind of like if you're talking to Hawks fans, I mean, what do you want? Do you want the shiny new thing that is going to eventually drive, like, the old reliable car that you got or are you gonna stick with Old reliable? Um so it's is it, it that's the conundrum um as far as what I've been seeing on Twitter uh from Hawks fans, just how they have piled on bogey but praised Bay, but I've watched enough Bay in Detroit to know that
1: he can do the same <laughs> things as Bogey, um, good or bad. Yeah, I mean well, I mean Bogey's an elite shooter. Um, I, I've said when they got Bay that, uh, by the way, we got breaking news here. We'll get to that in a second. But um, I, I don't know how good of a shooter Bay is because he was in a kind of a an offense that, that was oriented around a rebuild. So it's a little hard to know. He's looked great, you know, here in these couple games. Um, you know, embracing being a guy who's spacing up and spotting up and not trying to, you know, kind of create his own shot and all that sort of stuff. So that's, so that's good. I, you know, I, I think the main reason they went and got Bay is because his salary next year is a little north of 4.5 million that gives them some flexibility if they want to make some moves you know and such um but i i like the deal i like to bring in a guy who could shoot the basketball who's on that kind of a salary for next year to give you some flexibility to rework the roster based on what opportunities uh there are out there um, mm-hmm. but Wo just tweeted that dill's done quinn snyder's the coach I I just
0: saw that, too. Uh, um, It's funny. We were already talking about it as if it was going to happen. Um, (laughs) So I guess, you know, everybody can scrap, you know, the what if it doesn't happen conversation we had earlier. We were just doing our due diligence there. But uh, and it says as soon as Tuesday for the Wizards game, he could be on the sidelines. So um, I know that's not enough time for you to implement your system and do everything. So. What can Hawks reasonably expect from if Quinn Snyder is put on the sideline Tuesday and led to um, basically tasked with leading his team through the rest of their schedule, which, as I said before, uh, in the next two weeks, you're going to see the Wizards three times, Miami twice. Uh, You see Boston um, fairly soon. uh, And then the rest of the schedule there's some good teams here and there, but a pretty favorable schedule down the stretch, um, despite the Hawks going in, coming out of all-star break with the quote unquote, the second toughest schedule in the NBA. Um, so what can Hawks reason, Hawks fans reasonably expect as far as impact is concerned uh, for Quinn Snyder?
1: Yeah, I mean you have to think that he's going to kind of just mostly continue with what they've been doing you know, c- coming out of the all-star break, right? It's, you said it exactly right. It's, it's really hard, almost next to possible to try to come incorporate something different systematically scheme wise. And maybe, you know, you know, Hey, we're going to switch a whole lot more, you know, than, than we have been, or it, it could be, you know, where Quinn's like, we're going to drop, you know, play traditional drop coverage against this team. We're going to be at the level of the screening against that team. We're going to switch against. The, so it'd be interesting to see. You know, because the Hawks can do three or four different things. Has shown that they do about three or four different things on defense depending on the matchup. Like today, they switch start to finish almost. You know, completely. Um, so if there is tweaks, I think it's going to be more on the defense. It's next to impossible to try to implement something new offensively on the fly like this. It's it's, it's next to impossible. So I have to imagine that. You know, that they uh, maybe continue moving away from mid-range isolation, you know, even though the Nets put them back into, you know, forced them back into that today. So I'm looking for more immediate changes, if that's going to happen at all on defense, much harder to do that on offense, in my view. And I'm, that's funny, you're leading
0: into things I wanted to ask, uh, because Regardless of who's the coach, defense is a problem on this team. Um, um, I, I don't think that's changed. Um, yes, you scored 136 points on Friday. and You scored 129 uh, today, but you gave up 119 and 127. Um, and, and there's still stretches where s- stops are hard to come by for the Atlanta Hawks and allows for other teams to make runs. And, hey, basketball is a game of runs, so that is – what the game is supposed to be predicated on and these are professionals the other team no matter the talent or lack thereof on the other sideline they're getting paid to play ball and they have pride in their work and they're going to make runs so some people do pile on to oh why why are we giving up an 11 run blah 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 because that's basketball that is basketball right. but on on the flip side there there are things that you can do better defensively and i've been Clamoring for, and I thought the Hawks were doing better at times this year defensively. And it seems like the last ten games, defense has gotten pro- in probably a little bit longer. Defense has gotten progressively worse. Uh, now I will say that great offense turned into great defense against the Cavaliers, in my opinion. Um, but certainly, uh, defense was hard to come by um, in this uh, Nets game. So I'm curious your thoughts on what the Hawks need to do better defensively down the stretch um, in order to try to move up in the standings and maybe steal a playoff series um, if they get that far.
1: I mean, so I mean, to me, it's all about connectivity, communication, structure. Like, even – and the thing to watch, like, in that Cavs game, when they were ahead by a million points, you know, they started kind of taking shortcuts on defense, which is just that – I mean, Quinn's not going to – Tolerate <laughs> that he's just Not you know and you know and, and you're like well why did Joe Prentice like Quinn is a guy with You know presumably a probably, right? mm-hmm. um, yep, presu- five year contract Probably presu- right Yep, Presumably With some you know uh, Front office um, You know uh, Presence in, in His role built into his role is just gonna have a lot More leverage you know Around that but you know like, I, I put it against the Cavs. There was a play where, like, Hunter uh, and Jalen were executing around the ball screen, and Hunter called the switch, like, really late, and it made, it made Jalen look bad, you know. And to me, Hunter, apart from Clinton and Yucca and JC, you know, Hunter has been their only above average, you know, point of attack on ball perimeter defender at all. Like, so he's just critical to them. But that was just an example of, you know, you know, of where it's like, you don't want those habits to start showing up. So, I think it's going to be attention to detail. I think it's going to be just a another level of accountability. Um, and and it'll be interesting to see how the Hawks players embrace that, or deal with that, or, or what they do. Um, you know, when it's when it's a new situation, it's kind of a honeymoon period. I think I think you know, I would I would not expect there to be kind of much you know conflict there and things like that, but. For me, it's going to be. I think you hit the nail on the head. The last two seasons before this season, the Hawks are pretty reliable top five offense. Last what fifteen games ish back to that level on offense. Mm-hmm. So it's their defense that's going to determine whether they, you know, get out of the play in somehow. Not a lot of games left to dig out of that hole. You know, uh, and probably need a little bit of help to to get back in the top six, um, and then. If you find yourself in a in a playoff series against, you know, whoever, you know, the defense is gonna determine how much of a competitive series you make that series. And so I have to think that's where Quinn's really gonna kinda try to, you know, make his impact is getting their defensive play to be higher. You know. Uh I have questions like Jalen gonna play. I said th- I've been clear, Jalen needs to play. Jalen has to play, you know, for me. And even these last two games, I, Hawks fans haven't said much. but AJ hasn't played a ton in these last two games, you know. Yeah, you and, and Jalen only got four minutes today. He got right, and uh, and now that today, I felt like that was mostly because the Nets played really small lineups, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I, I get that. I still wish he would have played more, you know. But but I understand sort of the tactics that were at work here, and then I understand AJ not playing a ton against Cleveland because. I mean, Garland and Donovan Mitchell. I mean, are just going to kill your wings. You know, if you if you kind of get the the wrong matchup there, if if you're going to a scene that has one of those one guy like that, not two, AD probably plays a whole lot more there. But but I, I think when's going to really try to do something with that defense? Can he get them to being um, better than league average the rest of the way? You know, they've been. Around they were around 17 heading into the All Star break, um, but they've had stretches where they were like top 12, and they had they'd have a five or six or seven game stretch where they were like bottom five all over again, like like last year, you know. And so, for me, it's like I know this team can crank out you know one or two or three game stretches where their defense is really good. What I want to know is what level of consistency might they be able to get to, and let's see what Quinn can kind of make happen in that area inconsistency
0: that is the word that um we have uh that 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 is not applied to this team i mean they're i mean they're a game above 500 which is the signs of a team that is inconsistent in areas you know on both sides of the court Um, so that's something that you know i would hope to see you know get better but again if you guys are living under the rock or by the time this comes out you should know but Five-year deal. Uh, with Quinn Snyder as the head coach. He should be uh, reportedly on the sideline as early as Tuesday against the Wizards, uh, and I will be here in Atlanta, so that will be uh, a warm welcome for Hawks fans who were, especially those who are really clamoring for Nate to get about the door. Uh, final question um, before we ra- wrap this up: Nine points in each game from DeAndre Hunter in foul trouble in both games. And we've mentioned the word consistency, which is something that DeAndre Hunter has been um, this year, um, and and that is, and some people may you know scoff at that comment, but I think he's been one of the most consistent players this year because he's been available. Um, are you worried about DeAndre Hunter? It's two games, so this is this is probably our one my one overreaction question that I had for you today.
1: Yeah, I mean, worried? No, uh, do I kind of have an eye on him? Yeah, I you know. If you, if you like took DeAndre and put him in the perfect situation for him, it would probably be on a team where he gets a little bit more offensive prioritization. Uh, I mean, if you go look at like the best mid-range shooters, especially the best self-create, self-created mid-range shooters in the league, like DeAndre's like Fourth, like up there with like KD and others, right? Yeah. Now his volume is obviously different, right? But he's still like if you if you look at a minimum kind of volume threshold, he he kind of shows up in that group. But when you got Trey and Dejounte, and then when you've got Bogey, who you need to prioritize, especially like these last two games, you know he's got to be the an offensive priority then DeAndre's shots are just going to kind of come and go, you know, and his his opportunity game to game to game is going to be up and down and up and down and up and down. And for me, the probably the last part of him kind of rounding out his value proposition as a player, and, you know, assuming, like, he can kind of stay healthy, which is a, a big thing we all know that hasn't been something he's been able to do until this year. This year he's been relatively available, right, just like you said – but for me, a guy like him, where his most important job is to defend the other team's best uh, wing or guard creator, and then to to know he has a lot of offensive potential. He's a really good shooter. He's really good in um, kind of face up and back to the basket, depending on which matchup he has. He can attack mismatches really well. But he might go one game where he gets four touches by design because there's just not really a mismatch there, or the pick and roll is where the opportunity is, like the Cavs game, right? And mm-hmm. sorry, DeAndre shouldn't be running a, a, a lot of pick and rolls. He just he shouldn't be, right? He should be ready to chew up the weak side if the ball gets worked in pick and roll around to the weak side. He can take that one dribble step in or whatever it is. And so for me, the last part, the last big part development for him is to deal with a big offensive roll one game, a small offensive roll the next game. Big, small, 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 big, small, you know, whatever that looks like. It's a note that's going to go up and down. It just is. It's never going to be anything else unless he's on a different kind of team. That's where they, you know, they're rebuilding and they can take a guy like him and give him more, more um, kind of offensive prioritization. So just how do you find a rhythm? How do you keep a rhythm? How do you, you know, develop a rhythm when the touches in the, in the, in the shot frequency Um, Is just up and down like that. I I think fans don't realize how hard that is. It's Mm -hmm. you know, and typically when you see guys who do that well, they're guys who've been in the league eight, nine, ten, eleven years, you know. And so that's I'm not worried about him. Apart from just seeing if that's something he can navigate and can and kind of can kind of make himself, um, you know, do that. He's probably a guy who's going to have a thirty point game four or five times a year, just because he's knocking down the threes and he's getting a lot of room on the weak side. And But what I dislike is when fans are like, oh, he should do that all the time. I feel like if you think that, you don't understand where he is in the offensive pecking order and the kind of schematic um, realities that, that influence how much opportunity he gets game to game. So can he be a guy who can make shots reliable even in games where he's not getting a lot of touches, a lot of shots? That's the last kind of big area for him to master, it might be.
0: Yeah, and... I I like when DeAndre Hunter is really aggressive getting to the rim and shooting in mid range and really taking an inside out game. I think a yep. lot of his success is when he's inside out. Um and that's when he has those games because he's he's in rhythm shooting the ball and then now now, you know, the three balls going down. Um when he's just relegated to just catch and shoot opportunities, uh, that's where he, I I'm the person I don't think DeAndre Hunter needs to shoot more than five or four or five threes a game, personally. And most of the time when he's shooting seven threes a game. Um it's been a lot of that, you know, that ISO ball um or where he's just in catch and shoot roles. I don't think that's necessarily his role, even though he can knock down a three pointer. Um and there's been a few players that, you know, when John I don't like when John Collins is relegated to that role. He doesn't need to be relegated to catch and shoot guy. Um I think inside out uh is the right um approach outside of him, you know, shooting the corner three or the three at the top of the key. Um,
1: that's just, you know, my opinion, but. John's in that same boat, right? Mm -hmm. The touches, the shots are going to go up and down and up and down and up and down. They just are, you know, now if the Hawks had a five, like Brooke Lopez that will just space all the time and they could let John dive in the pick and roll, it'd be different. Mm -hmm. But that's not what they, that's not what they have, you know, and in my mind, Akonwu has a, a really robust Game, offensive game that he, that's showing up and coming along he could handle it, you know, well for his position and you know He's a good passer above average passer in position. Maybe even more than that um, And he needs touches and he needs offensive prioritization So but what I love is that John plays his rear end off on defense all the time regardless of whether he's getting shots or not regardless of whether the stat sheet is is reflecting kind of what you would maybe think according to what he gets paid, or whatever fans are kind of looking at, and you know, that's what this Hawks team is going to do for DeAndre, is bring the defense all the time, regardless of what opportunities are or are not coming your way uh, on the other end of the court, you know, and so, yeah, I feel like John's kind of shown him a little bit of kind of what it needs to look like, and you know, John's, you know, been in the league a little longer, you know, so maybe maybe DeAndre can kind of uh, see that example that John has modeled for him and, and figure that out too, but that that's what this team needs from him, in my view.
0: Yeah, so it'll be interesting how Hunter and Collins fits um, in this new look, quote unquote, Hawks um, offense uh, with Quinn Snyder coming on board. Uh, like I said, offense has been really great um, the last few games. You know, we had set seven, six players in double digits uh, against Cleveland, and we had several players in double digits. Tonight as well, including three with 20 points or more. Um, Obviously, Trey Young has had 34 in each game. DeJounte Murray scored 25 points or more in both games. Uh, Bogey with 22 this game. Uh, Sadiq Bey was the uh, guy um, on Friday. So I like when they have a balanced offense attack. That's something that I hope that continues going forward because that's only going to make this offense more potent and not make the offense as predictable for opposing defenses and that's where it'll make things easier there. Then we'll get back and get set on defense and hell, maybe we get better on defense, Glenn, with Snyder there. Uh, We'll see. Um, But any other outstanding thoughts that you have before we wrap this program up?
1: No, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, it's obvious the kind of the the vibes are are good around the Hawks right now, these two games Um, Quinn getting hired you know Hawks fans are excited It's you know can they Can they crack the top six you know There's not a lot of season left you know I, I look at like 21 games Left now four against the Wizards they need to Clean up against the Wizards they need to win at least three of those Games right? I agree. and then The head-to-head uh, against Miami coming Up you know can't go and cannot Go of those games you know I, would, I, I need a split I need a split right. at least. Yeah yeah and if you can manage to Win them both like you're done yourself A big favor then um, you know, and, and it kind of kind of goes from there. You can't lose games; you should win. You can't lose another game like that, like that Hornets game. You know, oh God, that Hornets you know? game. <laughs> so, so the it's a tall task, and all you can do is you know the cliche: one game at a time. That's true, you know. But I mean, they have to be on their game the rest of the way if they're gonna have any shot to get the top six, and and then even still, probably need some kind of help. You know, the Knicks keep winning. Julius Randle is, you know, playing the best basketball of his career all over again. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. he's he's at that NBA all NBA, you know, level he was, you know, a couple of years ago. Um, and, and so there's it's not like you know, today's winning It's Brooklyn helps, but again, if you go look at the distance there, some fans can go, Oh, three games or so. Three games is not a lot when you're talking about, you know, 20, 21, 22, 23 games left for most teams. It's not a lot. You know, so Hawks just have to be on their game the whole rest of the way to have a shot there. And it'll, it'll be, a, I think a fun experience seeing what they can do.
0: I, I agree. Cause I mean, just looking at the schedule, we, we see Boston twice, which is no cakewalk there. Uh, we have to see Dallas again, the new look Mavericks with uh, Kyrie. Uh, the bench is a little different um, and they did lose today against the Lakers, but still Luka, it's still Kyrie. And that's going to be a home game uh you got to see Philadelphia again which you've struggled against this year. Uh you got to see John ja the Memphis Grizzlies at home. You got to see Cleveland again. Um so there I mean but there's some easier games against lesser opponents sprinkled in there. I mean, you do have San Antonio who is on a miserable losing streak right now. They're in the Wimby sweepstakes right now. Um, trying to get that golden ticket. Uh, you you got to see, you know, Detroit at home which should be a win indiana is going the opposite direction so there's a good mix of winnable games but a lot of games that you hope to see the hawks shift into playoff mode and we can start playing playoff basketball down the stretch and and if the hawks can do that they can make things interesting i still don't see an eastern conference finals run and i know hawks fans may kill me on twitter for saying that but who knows i mean who knows um can you get out the play-in? Can you make things interesting in a first-round series? I'll tell you one thing. You better hope to get seven because I do not want to see the Boston Celtics in the seven-game series with this roster we have. I do, I cannot. I can't
1: do it, Glenn. I cannot do it. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah. They, they, they've not at remotely played like a team that's ready to make a run, right? They, they just, they, That's just not who they've been at all this year. Um, can they become a scary team? Like a kind of scary team for, you know, Milwaukee, Boston, Philly. You know, however that all that ends up shaking out and um, and kind of kind of going from there. You know, we'll see. But I, to, in my mind, if the Hawks, this Hawks team can get a first get into a first round series and take it six or seven games, that's exceeding the level of play they've had so far this year. Yeah. If they could somehow win that and get to the second round, that is wildly exceeding what their levels play has been so far this year. It would take a, mir- an, a miraculous run for them to get to the um, finals. It would—I it, mean—the the statistical likelihood is is so small. And I and and I remind Hawks fans, the Knicks were a seriously offensively seriously flawed offensive team. Yeah. You know, in that in that run, Philly had like a couple of like really fatal flaws. And so the Hawks route was they lined up against two teams that were pre- flawed in ways that the Hawks could take advantage of. And, and so now that's not me taking any credit away from what they accomplished then. I'm just describing that's what happened. That's what their path was. This Eastern conference is a lot better than that Eastern conference was then. It's just a lot better, you know, and you know Philadelphia has grown, and you know, and I mean Embiid is just like so much better a player now than he was then. Yeah, the Bucks know the Bucks know what it takes. They want a title. They know what it takes, you know, and you know Boston made the finals last year, and they're well coached, and and you know they they keep getting their rotation is if you look at like guys they I and mean, you watch that game against. um uh, Philly the other night, and like the finals minutes, like Brogdon not on the floor, like Derek White not on the floor, <laughs> like yeah. that's some serious stuff, you know. So it's it's just a lot harder. But i you know, you know me, Brad. You know, uh, I I give straight analysis, i un- unbiased. I say what I see, but I, I'm also a fan. I'm going to be hoping they do well, um, but I'm also you know I think grounded in the reality that you know I, I don't expect this team to make the second round Eastern Conference playoffs. You know, I mean, to me, that kind of starts with not having to deal with the grind and the exhaustion of playing a game or two. You know, yeah. so so, you know, we'll see. I mean, if they if they exceed my expectations, I'll have a fun time like following them and rooting for them and, you know, giving my analysis along the way. But I think that what I have really my on really is how they can position themselves for next year and some success this year would, I think, you know, be positive reinforcement of good hard work they might hopefully they put it down the stretch but anyone who anyone who thinks like the east is kind of prime for a team like the hawks to kind of jump in apart from like trade just going on some crazy you know run on his own um or quinn really coaching up the defense probably both it, it, you know we can hope for that but we can also say i don't think that that's a, a likely thing that's going to happen but we'll see that's why we watch the games.
0: It's why we watch the games. And I'm with you. I think that if they have a successful first round series and don't don't make it beyond that, but it's a six game, seven game series. That's something to build off for for next year, because next year is going to be very important for the Hawks to be successful. And I've said this, if they are going to retain DeJounte Murray, uh, there's going to be some decisions they have to make this off season. They're going to have to clear some space. Um, Okongu is going to need his uh, extension you know, DeAndre Hunter's extension will take an effect, so there's going to be, this is going to be a very important offseason, and maybe a tryout period, uh, these next twenty, twenty one, twenty two 22 games, and then obviously the play-in and playoff series, Um, if they get that far, uh, for what's to come for the Hawks, so this is a, a, a intersection here in the Hawks franchise, as far as what these next five years are going to look like uh, under Quinn Snyder, um, so I'm excited to see what's to come from it. And Glenn, I want to thank you again for coming on to the program, lending your time. I know you have a really busy schedule, got some life things going on that I won't say. Uh, I got some life things too, but <laughs> you know what? Life has led us to this intersection today, and I'm glad that we were able to have this conversation with the Quinn Snyder news dropping. Um, so I, I can't thank you enough for being on, but. Tell, you know, listeners, you know, where they can check you out and obviously check out his film analysis um, because he's really he's really one of the best out there as far as in Hawks land. He's probably the best, in my opinion, uh doing that for the Hawks. So, Glenn, uh, the floor is yours here.
1: Yeah, I always appreciate the kind words, um, you know, at Willis underscore Glenn. That's me on Twitter. Uh, I try to do some breakdown after in the, you know, 24 hours uh, after a game. Um is part of that does depend upon life situation and my day job, which is going really well and but super busy there. But that's where to find me most consistently. I still support and do some work with Peace Three Hoops and uh Kevin Shenard and I uh do that at ATL and twenty nine. That's what yeah, you can find us on Twitter, but ATL twenty nine podcast peace three hoops podcast. Uh so Kevin and I record two two times a week, sometimes three, depending upon kind of how you know, the Hawks schedule kind of works out. So uh, find me there, but you could, if you want to just follow me on Twitter, that's where you can, you know, see, I'll promote all of my work there. Uh, Brad, always, always love talking Hawks with you, talking NBA with you. Uh, always enjoyed the chance to kind of come on and talk with you. So appreciate you having me back and look forward to next time.
0: I appreciate your kind, kind words too, Glenn. Uh, you guys support him and his podcast and all of his work. Um, he has a great podcast with Kevin. So please check that out. Um, especially if you're, you know, tired of hearing my voice, a different perspective and a more in-depth basketball mind and Glenn. Um, And then obviously Kevin's a lot of fun. So definitely check out their podcast as well. And if you love what you heard from me today, give us five stars. Give us a good review. Share it into everybody about one of the best podcasts covering Hawks basketball. We are very objective here at Sports Ethos Atlanta Hawks. Love it or hate it, that's what makes us different from everyone else. So if you like people who are objective and plays both sides of the fence and shows all perspectives, you know, bring them onto the program, you know, put them onto the family uh, here at Sports Ethos. And uh, you can follow us on up to date news at Ethos Hawks on Twitter. That's at Ethos Hawks. And then follow me on Twitter at Brad Jarrett67. And that is Brad J-A-R-R-E-T-T-6-7. We'll catch you guys next time. And next time we'll be breaking down the Quinn Snyder, hopefully, led Atlanta Hawks as they take on the Washington Wizards on Tuesday. We'll catch you guys next time. You guys have a wonderful Monday.